Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning time together. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, if you're traveling, if you're on the road, if you're watching this in your car or on an airplane, wherever, God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Lay off the turkey a little bit, okay? It's good to have some sandwiches and, uh, you know, maybe some turkey soup. My wife makes great turkey soup with all the leftovers, and uh, I, I personally love turkey leftovers. Some people don't like leftovers. I like leftovers, so I have no problem with that. I think some of the things are better the second day than the first day, right? So this is Sunday morning, November the 29th, and we're going to take a little divergence from the series that we've been in. I told you when I started the Unlimited series that there might be some weeks that we, we drop in another teaching, and this week I have been I have been thinking a lot about the new covenant and what's involved in a new covenant. And I had this this compulsion to come up with a passage of scripture for you that would that would be definitive that you could use anytime. If you are called on to teach a Bible study, you don't know what to teach, maybe you're gonna do a Sunday morning message somewhere, you're not sure what to teach on. I want to give you a passage of scripture this morning that really lays out the new covenant. I want to start with a scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 that says, He has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So we, we the word minister there is the word diakonos. It's, it's used sometimes for deacon or servant. Minister applies well. So you and I, he has made us able. That means we have sufficiency. We, we can do it. We're able to minister the new covenant. But he says this, he says, don't do it of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now I want to draw just a real quick distinction this morning, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to set on this long. I may come back to it someday and, and really lay it out, the distinction. But there's a difference between testament and covenant. And he tells us, don't minister the letter, but minister the spirit. There's a difference in testament and covenant. A testament in Greek is a legal document which defines the legal rights of the parties that are involved in the testament. A covenant is, is defined and outlined by an ongoing relationship to which there is no end. Do you remember in the old covenant, David uh, had a covenant. He had to honor it to, to help the, 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 the young guy. And we're not going to go back and trace it, but even though the one that David was in covenant with passed away, David still held up his end of the covenant, which is what I, point I want to make, is that even on the death of one of the two that are in the covenant, the one that still remains in the covenant is obligated to fulfill and complete the covenant. So we, we're looking at a testament as more of a legal document, and a covenant is much more relational, much more relational. The way that you treat post-resurrection scripture, whether you treat it as a testament or a covenant, has tremendous repercussions. What I want to get into this morning is the idea that we, we are in a new covenant. Right? There is a testament to this. There are some legal things laid out there that tells us what our inheritance is and what we're beneficiaries of. But what I'm concerned about this morning is the covenant that, that the Father has with us and we have with him that is based on relationship. So what I want to do this morning is I want to put the new covenant under a microscope and I want to give you, as I said just a minute ago, a block of scripture post-resurrection, post-resurrection scripture that lays out this new covenant in a way that's very easy to understand. I want to do it in such a way and I want to point it out so that if you're sitting at Starbucks with someone and someone says, what do you really believe? I understand that your beliefs are a little bit different than the church I go to. What do you actually believe? You can take this passage of scripture and you can just lay it out. Basically read it and just add your own words to it, which is what I'm going to do this morning for the most part. And it just lays it out so plainly and so easily. I don't, I don't think there's a passage in scripture that lays out the good news any better than <coughs> Excuse me. Then Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. We're going to see in these 10 verses, first of all, that the Father sets it up. Then man messed it up. Jesus, 
my goodness, please pardon me. Jesus fixed it up and the Father's gonna finish it up. I hope we're done with the sneezing there. Goodness, don't like to sneeze. So this passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, Paul just lays it out in rapid fire succession. He absolutely shows us in, in these 10 verses, he shows us the Father's plan, the Father's motivation, the Father's heart, his vision, his intention, his method. And most of all, he shows us an eternal, an eternal unveiling of what this covenant is actually all about. Now we're gonna, we're gonna read this. Let me, let me just read, I don't normally read blocks of scripture, but let me read for you if I can, Ephesians chapter two. Let me read these first 10 verses for you. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Let me just back up here. Ephesians chapter two, and it's the passage of scripture that we're gonna concentrate on this morning. This is, this is a powerful passage of scripture. First, the first five words of this second chapter of Ephesians, I mean, if we had no more than this, this would be good news. Look at these first five words. And you he made alive. Isn't that powerful? And you he made alive. And it gets better. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he, ta he takes you in this position of being dead in trespasses and sins and as a sovereign act makes you alive. Now let, let me just read it. I'm going to read it on without making more comments. Verse 2. In which you, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the, in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all... Uh, uh, conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and in the mind, and were by nature, I'm going to set on that word nature in just a few minutes, and were by nature the children of wrath. Verse 4, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ by Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now watch this eighth verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, total gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna walk through this just a little bit. Now, these first three verses, verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul sets up the problem. Then he unveils the solution from verses 4 to 10. So let's, here's the problem right here. In verses, these first three verses, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now he gets, he, he takes it down just a level. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Man, you were walking in the wrong direction. You, you were messed up. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conduct ourselves. We all were caught up in this mess. All of us fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as others. So he lays out the problem there. He says, man, at one time you were walking the wrong direction. You were involved in all the wrong things. Uh, you weren't thinking You weren't thinking right. Your actions were wrong. And then out of this dilemma, he starts verse 4 and says, but God. Aren't you glad this morning that he put a but God in there? Anytime you see but God, I mean, how many times have we all been through some real, real difficulties and we sit back and we have to say, but God. No, in verses four to 10, he begins to, to bring out the solution. But the new covenant, I'm gonna give you four points this morning. The father set it up, man messed it up, Jesus fixed it up, and the father will finish it up, all right? So let's, let's make sure we understand, first of all, this morning, that the Father set the covenant up. It springs out of his heart, and you he has made alive, right? It, it, it comes from the Father, in the Father's heart, but God. Now, he's going to say, but God, 
So we've got verses uh, two and three. We got a we got a problem. We got a dilemma. We have a mess. But God, and He says in that fourth verse of chapter two, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. That's the Father's heart, and that's the Father's motivation in everything that he does. Everything originates out of the love of the Father. Mercy is the demonstration of his love. That's, what, that's exactly what mercy is. I've heard lots of definitions of mercy. Um, I, I, I think one of the accepted definitions of mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. But that's not the God kind of mercy. The God kind of mercy takes it down way beyond that. The God kind of mercy says that you join yourself to the one that's afflicted. Now, God who is rich in, in mercy because of his great love. The God kind of mercy says that it joins itself to the person that is afflicted and it has, a, it has an intention. The intention is that it bring the person out of the affliction or the dilemma that has, that has taken it down, that has caused difficulties, heartache, problems. The actions of verse two and three. I mean, those, those things, so many seeds of death were planted in there. But God who's rich in mercy. So he joins himself to us with the intent of bringing us out of the situation that we're in. It's his love flowing through mercy with tremendous foresight. His love through mercy with tremendous foresight that set, the new covenant as an airtight covenant. It is an airtight covenant. He set it up for all of his creation. Everything that the Father does, listen to me, everything the Father does, he sees the very end from the beginning. And then he, when he sets the end, he comes back and he begins to plan the beginning. Let, let me illustrate this for you out, out of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. I'm going to read this one out of the NASB because it words just a touch different. It's really powerful. He ends up verse 9, Isaiah chapter 46, 10. I want you to get, a, a, I want you to see how airtight this covenant is because God sets the end from the beginning. He doesn't, he doesn't jump into things just happenstance. He doesn't just roll something out and say, well, let's see how this plays out. Let's see how they work it out for themselves. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 ends up this. I am God and there is none like me. And then in verse 10, he says, I declare the end from the beginning. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, which have not yet been done. So he says, I, I see how it all comes to a, a conclusion. And he says, even things that haven't been done yet, he said, it's, it's in the works, it's in the plan. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established. Now, when you come through the scripture and you see where it says, this is God's will, or this is the purpose, this is my purpose, brother, you can take it to the bank that that thing will be accomplished to its fullness, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good purpose. I will accomplish all of my good purpose. So we have to begin to look and see, okay, what, what is this good purpose of God? What, what did the Father set up in the new, new Covenant? What is to be the end of this? Now, I want to, this, this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 2, this is why it's so good. He tells us what the end deal is. I don't care what your eschatology is, how you view end times, if you're a pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib. Uh, it doesn't matter at this point because he says here, here, is, what, here is the way that we all will spend eternity. Are, are you ready? He tells us in verse seven, look at this, that in the ages to come, not just age, he says ages. So it's more than one predetermined time. It goes on. And you know, there, you know I've taught you enough in, uh, from the Greek to let you know there's no word in Greek that means without end or everlasting. So the way the, the, the writers do it is, you know, they say ages. They make it a plural to show that it is an ongoing process. He says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So how are you and I going to spend eternity? We're going to spend eternity. And this is the way the Father set it up. He designed it this way. This is why it's airtight. He's going to be demonstrating to us for all eternity 
the depth of his grace and his goodness that he has toward us in Christ Jesus. We're never gonna exhaust this thing. We are absolutely never going to exhaust the limits and the benefits of the covenant. This, this is relational. What we're talking about here is relational. All right? it's, it's, it's not that it's legal. It's that because of the Father's love and mercy that he's demonstrated to us, he said, I've set this thing up. It's airtight. Here's what you're going to discover. And people in, in this life, this, this flesh life, that have not encountered him or for whatever reason they've rejected him because of the message of doom and gloom and hell or the messenger, whatever, and crazy doctrines, they're going to get exposed to the goodness and the depth of God's grace for ages to come. And it will, he will just continue to turn the dial higher until we all come to a place where we recognize how good he is. And what that verse is saying is it's just going to get gooder. It's going to get gooder and gooder and gooder. So that's how you and I, 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 I don't get wound up in end times. I really, I'm preterism and I understand it and I've read it and studied all the different understandings. But honestly, what I see is Ephesians 2.7. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to spending eternity unveiling and un, unwinding the depths of his goodness and grace forever. So you're never going to exhaust it. Grace Grace is this doorway into the treasure of an inexhaustible new covenant. Grace walks us through the door. As we just rest in him, that divine influence creates effortless change in us. That effortless change, man, is going to take place forever and forever and ever. So it goes beyond what you read in the Bible. See, this, this is the testament. This tells us what legally belongs to us. This tells us what our inheritance is. But the covenant, the relationship that we have with him, he will, he will unveil depths to you. Man, I hope you catch this. He will unveil the depths of his love and his goodness and his grace to you personally that will disclose much more than what you could read out of a book. That's why we call it a covenant. The new covenant is as deep and it's rich as the one who made the covenant. So we have, we have, an, we have a covenant maker that is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. It's the Father himself. So this new covenant, I'm trying to drive the point home this morning, this new covenant unfolds in perpetuity. It just goes on and on and on. Grace is going to forever demonstrate to us how successful the cross was, the power of the resurrection, everything that the Father has lined up for us. So how did, how did the Father set it up? All right, we just, we saw that verse 7 out of Ephesians chapter 2. We're looking at 10 verses today. We saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, the end product of how the Father says, this is the way it's going to shake out. I'm going to have all my creation discovering the depth of my goodness and my grace for the ages to come, right? So he set, he set the end. How did he set the beginning to make sure he accomplishes the end? Verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I can quote it. I've read it so many times. God love it. Ephesians 2, 10 says, For you are his workmanship, you are his workmanship, finely tuned, perfectly made, created in Christ Jesus. Man, that's one you never heard in church. You never heard ever that you were created in Christ Jesus. What you heard was you were created separate from him. It's not what Paul says. That's part of the covenant. He made covenant with us from the very beginning by placing us in Christ Jesus. You were created in Christ Jesus. I know what religion has taught you, man. I'm sorry but there was never a time that you were not in Christ Jesus. How could there be if he created you in him? He created you for good works, which he before ordained or set in motion that you would fulfill or walk in. So it might take a couple of eons of time, but I'm telling you this morning, you're gonna fulfill exactly the plan that God destined you for. That's how good this thing is. That's how powerful it is. So the Father sets the beginning and he says, I'm going to create you in Christ Jesus. And, and you're a great piece of work. You're my workmanship, finally made. And he said, I'm going to end this up by you discovering just how good I am by plummeting to the depths of my grace and my goodness for the ages to come. So we see the Father sets the end from the beginning and he fixes the beginning to make sure that it reaches the end. So he engineered, he manufactured, he molded us 
in Christ. Man, you talk about a setup. This thing is a divine setup. From the very beginning, you were designed for eternal success, period. Period. There's no two ways about it. You were designed for eternal success. God did a divine setup on you from which you could not escape by placing you in Christ Jesus from the beginning. Let me, let me say it again from a different angle. He set verse 7 of Ephesians 2 as your destiny. Then he tells you in verse 10 to ensure that you reach the destiny. He tells you in verse 10 how he set you up to begin with. So from verse 10, your, your workmanship creating Christ Jesus, to verse 7, spending eternity discovering the depths of his goodness, that's him. Now, everything in between is your choice. It's your choice. How do you want to, how, how much of this do you want to discover now and how much do you want to put off till later? You can walk. We haven't even discovered how much we can walk in yet. Verse 7 and verse 10, that's his choice. That's his sovereign destiny. That's his sovereign design. Everything in between, the life you're living now, pretty much is a result of the choices you've made. You know, we've all made good choices, we've made bad choices. Now we're learning not to make choices. We're learning to be sensitive to his voice. We're learning to be led by the Spirit. We're learning that our, our knowledge of good and evil has been the trap that has caught us, which takes me to point number two, man mess this thing up. God set it up. So how in a very visible, natural dimension, what happened to the world that we live in? Man messed it up. He went on a head trip. Man got jacked up in his thinking. He forgot who he was, where he came from. He didn't allow God to unfold it for him. Adam opened the door to this whole sense of separation and alienation, which we, all of our own choosing, entered into and walked through the door that he opened. And it was all in our thinking. It was in Adam's thinking. And it's caused us to believe all kind of crazy things. It's caused us to believe all kind of crazy things about the Father, that he's mad, he's angry, separated from us. Uh, he's, he's just looking for something that we do wrong, that we mess up, that he can, he can eternally punish us. We, we were groomed. Man, we were groomed by religion. We were groomed by our culture to buy into this origination of a fallen, depraved, edemic nature. And that if you don't do something about it, hell is your future. I'm going to depart a little bit, maybe from what some of you even that are in grace or finished work. I'm going to depart a little bit in something here. So just bear with me. I don't believe anybody was ever born with an endemic nature, pre-cross, post-cross. I don't. I'm going to show you what happened. Augustine, our boy Augustine. <laughs> The one who introduced this pagan concept of hell to the Catholic Church, it put the word into to translation. Never, never, hell was not a word, it's a pagan concept. Took the word Gehenna, took the word Hades and Sheol, and interjected hell in there uh, and gave it a bad meaning. He's the one that taught us a demic nature. The early church did not teach a demic nature. Both doctrines, that come from Augustine produced tremendous fear, insecurity, and sense of separation. And they were both introduced into the church so the church could give us a solution to those difficulties that we would have to come to the church to get, to get the bridge gapped, right? You have a fallen nature. That's a problem, man. You need a solution. So we have a solution. You need to be baptized and become part of the church. You have an eternal destiny in hell. And if you do bad sins, those are going to eternally separate you. If you don't, you know, if you just tell white lies, there's going to be some punishment, but it's not as bad. So that's, that's purgatory, right? So he developed these two doctrines and they were all to aid the church in gaining membership, in creating uh, fear and separation. God's view toward man never changed. It never, ever changed. God's view toward Adam never changed. There's no record in Scripture that God's view toward humanity ever became 
uh, hateful, vengeful, punitive. There's just no there's just no evidence of it. Adam opened the door. He absolutely did. He opened the door to wrong thinking, and we all walked through that same door of our own choice. Now, let me, let me get legal with you about this. Let me give you a scripture on this. And I, I would imagine most of us never saw this before. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Adam, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 12. I want to dispel this thing of an endemic nature because that's not what happened in our, uh, it, it, to us. We got jacked up in our thinking. Adam got jacked up in his thinking. He saw God wrong. He thought he had wrong perceptions. There was nothing that happened to the spirit of Adam. It still was God-breathed. There's nothing wrong with anybody's basic being that was ever born. We were not born broken. God doesn't create junk. And the devil has no ability to create life or anybody. So nobody's a child of the devil, okay? You may act like it by your actions, but he, he has no life to give anybody. Now watch what it says here. Here's what, here's what happened. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin, now watch the wording here. It's very important. Sin entered the world, did not enter people. The word's cosmos, the word's cosmos. That's, that's the universe. There, there, was, there was something that entered the universe. There's, there's an atmosphere. There's, a, there's a, an ease toward, and it's the knowledge of good and evil. That's what entered the universe. And death through missing the mark, through sin, through a loss of right identity, death entered in. How did death enter in? Because we missing the mark, man. We're eating at the wrong tree. We're eating at the tree of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what entered the world, and we all fell for it. Now watch how he ends up this, this 12th verse. And thus death spread to all men because all men sinned. So what do we have here? We have something entering the world through Adam, not people. Adam did not enter you. <laughs> He entered the cosmos. His disobedience affected the cosmos. It threw, it, threw, it threw things out of alignment. And we all sinned. We all did it of our own volition. If, if this thing of an endemic nature were true, let me, well, let me ask you this. How many times did Jesus even mention Adam? Zero. How many, how many parables did Jesus tell about an endemic nature? Zero. Never, never mentioned it. How many references did Jesus ever make to pre-cross people being born in sin? Is there any Old Testament prophet that says we were born in sin? It's zero. Now, if the endemic nature were that, were that prevalent, were that universal, then I think in, in that devastating, Jesus would have hammered on it. Now, I haven't fully developed this thought yet, but let me just plan a seed. If Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine, a hypostatic union, which you and I are also, we are spirit beings in the image of God. He breathed his breath into us, his very essence, and we have human flesh. So we are 100% human, 100% divine like Jesus, our older brother. If Jesus made it through the pipeline without buying into this uh, mindset of alienation and separation from the Father, then shouldn't every human be able to do the same? We didn't. We chose not to. I chose not to. You know why? Probably because that's the way I was raised. I was raised from, from infancy to know right, wrong, good, evil, and to make choices based on what my five physical senses were feeding to me. Nobody ever taught me from, from uh, being an infant how to hear the voice of God, how to be responsive to the Spirit. Now we should be raising a generation of young people and children, small children, know how to do that. Children can hear the voice of God much more plainly than some of us older people because we have all this static and all this distortion and all this stuff that's going on of our own volition. Children are born innocent. They are not born perverted. This thing of an endemic nature is, is an illusion. That's why I did a, a couple messages a while back called it the endemic illusion. Adam did not cause us to die or to be disconnected for life. We have been groomed to do that. And that's why Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, let me read it so I, that I get the exact wording for you. 
Colossians, and I get the whole verse down. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, And you who were once alienated, and you were enemies in your mind, by what? By wicked works. So we all did the works, man. We all did the works. We did the, what, what are wicked works? They are works, any work, that does not have the tree of life as its source, as its, as, as its, as its uh, provision. And so you and I walked in all kinds of stuff that was contrary to the tree of life. We were over eating the wrong tree because that's what we were taught to eat from. So we all voluntarily walked into it. Maybe you didn't do it volitionally, but it was handed down to you from your parents and their parents' parents and your great-great-grandpa. It just came down. But it had nothing to do with the nature. You've always had an image of God. You've always been the fathers. From his perspective, nothing ever changed. That's probably why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to that tree. Don't be conformed to everything that has been fed and has come to you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind gets renewed to the tree of life. Our mind gets renewed as we understand that we've been fully reconciled. Our mind gets renewed as we understand what I'm talking about this morning in the new covenant, how the Father set it up perfectly, created you in Christ Jesus for good works, and then destined you to one day spend ages, which we've entered into now. I've entered into that age where I'm discovering the goodness and the grace of God and it's going to continue for an infinity amount of time. But we messed it up. Man messed it up. Man jack, got jacked up in his thinking. Totally distorted. Totally, totally thinking wrong. And whenever you think wrong, you act wrong. That's why, that's why our, our scripture, this, this pattern scripture that we're talking about, that we're pulling on in Ephesians 2, put verses 2 and 3 in here. He says, one time you walked according to the course of this world. We all did, according to the prince of the power of the air, which now works in the sons of disobedience. We all walked that way. We were taught to. Verse three, among whom we, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We also, we all had this thing, man, that we wanted more than our share. We, you know, we were selfish. Watch the little children. They've been, they've been taught to be selfish. That that's my toy. You can't play with my toy. It's just as we get older, our toys get more expensive. You know, you drive my car. Are you kidding me? You can't have my car. My food? No, I paid for that. That's my stuff. That's mine. We get very possessive and we forget that we own nothing that it's all been gifted to us. But when you come to the tree of life, when you get your mind finally renewed, then all of a sudden you realize, I have access to the entire supply. I, I, can, I have the bank. I don't have just a checking account that can be exhausted. I have access to the bank. But we all walk this way. And this is, this is why we walk this way, is because we thought wrong. We were taught to thought, think wrong. It wasn't our fault. So here, here's, here's the thing. When you can no longer scapegoat the devil and you can no longer uh, scapegoat Adam, then all of a sudden you have to start taking responsibility for your actions. I, I wanted to point something out in that third verse because um, in, the, in that third verse, and, and this is where we, we get this from. Let me come back to that third verse. And it says, we were by nature children of wrath just as others. And some people, they say, well, they're right there it is. You, gotta, you have a nature that is sinful. Total mistranslation of that word. You look it up for yourself. The, the, word, the word nature there means a habit that you have practiced so long that it becomes part of your makeup. You know, a, 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 a person that steals, steals so much that before long, it's just who he is. We say he's a thief because he has practiced over and over and over that, that act of stealing. And so we say that's who he is. That's not really who he is. He doesn't know who he is. He has a mistaken identity. He's not a thief. He's a child of God. He doesn't know it. So he has a nature. We, and that's the word that's used there. If you look in Strong's Concordance, that that's, that's what that word means. It doesn't mean an inherent quality that you acquired from Adam in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't mean that at all, right? So we have to become responsible for our actions. That's the point I'm trying to make. And that's part of renewing our mind is I can't scapegoat the devil. The devil didn't make me do it. I can't flip Wilson out of this thing. 
I can't scapegoat Adam. Well, it's just the way I am. You know, I'm, I, this is how I am. So man messed it up. Now here's, here comes the solution. Father, the father set it up before the foundation of the world. And he stands back and he watches man mess it up, become alienated in his thinking. And in, because he's alienated in his thinking, his actions have become wrong. That's what's wrong with our world today. People are not thinking right. Do you think these people that are rioting and looting, their head's messed up, man. They have no clue as to their identity. They think... They think that's who they are, and they think that's what they deserve to have. They're blinded. They are totally blinded. You and I need to shine his light in that darkness. That's part of our, our mission. So the father watched man get totally messed up in his thinking, and then he said, look, I'm going to send Jesus to fix it up. I'm going to send Jesus to make an adjustment in their thinking, to clear their eyes, uh, they've seen me in a clouded light. They've, I've had a lot of bad press in the Old Testament. A lot of things said about me that wasn't true. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in flesh form myself, and I'm going to unveil my nature, and I'm going to demonstrate my love and my forgiveness to these people that are so messed up in their minds, in their thinking. I'm going to take every lie and every misconception about me, and I'm going to show that it's wrong. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm gonna take all of man's hostility, all of his wrong thinking, all of his, his anger, everything that is negative about him that his, that his mind has created, and I'm gonna pull it into myself and take it on myself, and I'm gonna demonstrate an unconditional love that has no conditions. You were included when I started it. You were still included when you messed it up and you're included when Jesus fixed it up, and we're gonna find that you're still included when the Father finishes it up. Everything that Jesus did, every action, every step, stay with me this morning, stay with me. Every action, every step that Jesus did was to unveil the Father, was to show us who the Father really was, and that we were all included. He didn't, Jesus did not do anything that excluded people. He, in, he was very inclusive. And when the Father does something, when he sent Jesus on a mission that Jesus agreed to, he didn't send him to do half a mission. He didn't send him to, to accomplish some of it or leave part of it up to us. We already demonstrated we couldn't do it on our own. So he sent Jesus to do it as us. I wish somebody would have told me that 30, 40 years ago. What Jesus did, he did as me. For example... Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It had only been a half mission if he sought the lost but didn't save them. He had to fulfill both parts of that for the mission to be complete. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world, the cosmos to himself, everything. Everything that was touched by Adam when Adam uh, when sin came into the world, when misconception came into the cosmos, which we read in Romans 5.12, Jesus came and reconciled the cosmos back to the Father. Father was always in the cosmos. Father was always in the world. Father always embraced it. Jesus came to, so that, that the entire cosmos would know the love and the care and the concern and the plan that the Father had. So everything that Jesus did was to unveil the plan, was to show the steps in the heart of the Father. Jesus was the Father's mind, catch this, Jesus was the Father's mind perfectly made up about you. So if you wonder what the Father thinks about you, look at Jesus. I know how you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus like he's this special one, like the Father has a special place in his heart, like he loved him more than all the, others, all the other children. What? That's kind of a perverted father, isn't it, if he loves one child more than the others? You want to know what he, what, what he thinks about you? Look at Jesus. And for those of us that have never known what the Father thinks about us, or we have thought the Father thinks about us in a wrong light, then look at Jesus. He is the pattern. He is the perfect example. And he came to show us the heart of the Father toward all of us. All of us. All the time. In, in your darkest, in your 
deepest messed up circumstances, the Father's view of you has not changed. Same way he sees Jesus. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Whether you consciously embrace that or not, that's how the Father sees it. Do you remember Ephesians 1.4? That it says that he chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should walk holy and blameless in his sight or in his eyes. That's how he sees us. If that's how he sees us, listen, 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 listen. If that's how he sees us, then not only should we see ourselves that way, we should see other people that way. That's how we live toward other people. I know how they act. I know, I know how irritating people can be. I know they've wronged you, talked about you behind your back, betrayed you, split your church. If you're a pastor, the associate ran off with 100 people and started his own thing. I understand all that. But you, that's not the way you can see them. That's not them. They're not acting right. They're acting like something they aren't. Right? So the Father set it up and messed it up. Jesus fixed it up. Now this fourth point, and I'm, I'm going to finish it down, is that the Father is going to end it up. He's going to wrap it up perfectly. So I want to look at a couple of scriptures here. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I want to read verses 3 and 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is good. He's going to tell us what's good. Who desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you remember we read in um, Isaiah 46.10 earlier that when he declares a purpose, he will accomplish it? I think I still got that. Yeah, I got that over here in my NASB. Listen to this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time things which have not been done, saying my purpose, my purpose, my will, my plan, my desire will be established and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. Now he tells us, Paul tells us right here what the good pleasure of God is. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now that word, that word desire doesn't mean he's just a hoping and a praying, or he just, he really would like it, or he, he would be really happy if this happened. No, no, no. It's a much stronger word than that. It means to be resolved, to be determined, and to have a purpose that has an absolute finality to it. So it's, we would say it's a done deal. When, when he says that he desires, we could just substitute done deal. His done deal is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And Paul said that's a good and that's an acceptable saying. So it's more, more than a hope. Actually, that, that word desire is the word thelo. I've, I should probably give you the Greek word for it. It's thelo. It means resolved and determined in purpose. It's a very focused attention. See, it's, it's like if... If you gave a, a big dog a bone, that dog would be thelo to hang on to that bone. You'd have, you have a time getting a bone away from a pit bull if a pit bull did not want to give up the bone because he's thelo, he's determined. It's his desire to, to hang on to that bone. Now, if that's not enough, if that's not enough to show you how the Father's going to wrap it up, his desire being completed, Ephesians 2, 7, ages to come, shows the depth and goodness of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Then over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy, I know this is, I've messed with some of you today, I know that, especially about the edemic thing. If I could get it seeded into people that nobody ever had an edemic nature, but we were messed up in our heads pre-cross, post-cross, because of Adam opening the door to eating from the wrong tree, we would go a long way toward knowing that we were always image of God. Never left it, never had anything but divine breath blown into our nostrils, his nature. And God brings this thing back full circle. Romans eleven thirty six. everything comes from God, passes through God, and ends up back to God. Easy peasy. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. He's, here's how he's going to end it up. He, he has saved us, and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Now check this out 
which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So before time began, he gave you grace and salvation in Christ. You need a pastor somewhere to help you misinterpret that verse. You need a seminary professor up at Dallas Theological Seminary to somehow wigwag out of that. He saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. You ain't going to die. You ain't going to die. When, if your earth suit wears out, you're going to find you're much more conscious of things than you are now. The only thing this earth suit does, it dulls my spiritual perception because of the way it's been, been groomed. He's abolished death and brought life, zoe, God kind of life, and immortality to light through the good news, through the gospel. The gospel is life and immortality. The gospel is there is no death. That's how he set it up. He set it up in verse 9 by, by giving us salvation in Christ before time began. And he has removed the whole concept of death and has replaced it with immortality. Man, I'm telling you, 1,500 years people have had poured into their minds bad news. They've had poured into their minds that they're lost, they're undone, they have an endemic nature, that they're totally depraved at birth, and they're headed for hell if they don't do something about it. And you need to jump through all the hoops that we've got for you at church. Do you see how our minds got screwed up? You see how our thinking missed the mark? We eating at the wrong tree. We've been eating over there at that tree of death. No wonder we died. We eating at the wrong tree. I wonder how 1,500 years of proclaiming the things I'm proclaiming to you, I wonder how that would impact culture in our church. I tell you what, we would be way further down the road if we had never had that 1,500-year detour where we heard all that garbage. 1,500 years of good news, I'm telling you what, this world's going to be different. And this is the generation. This is why I do the Digital Cathedral. This is why, as an old man, I'm still burning inside, brother. It's because I believe this is the generation. I want to be part of that generation that turns this thing around. And you can be too. You are if you're with me. You support me, you're supporting the turnaround. I keep coming as fast and as long as I possibly can. Ephesians chapter 1, those first 10 verses, shows that the Father set it up. It shows how man messed it up. It shows us how Jesus came to fix it up. And it shows how Father ends it up. It's perfect. It's perfect. This is your go-to passage. This is a strong go-to passage. I might have picked some others out, but I picked, I picked Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 because I felt it was the strongest and the best and the easiest to understand. So if you ever need to pull on something to explain your positions, explain where you're living from, explain what you believe, that's a good one to explain. People can reject a doctrine. People can reject a message. People can reject a teacher. But when they hear this one-sided covenant that we presented today that was made for us between the Father and the Son, that's how the covenant was made. You, you didn't have anything to do with it. You're a beneficiary of this covenant. You got in on the good part of it. When they see what has been done, you know what they're going to discover? And here's what I've discovered. There's nothing to reject or accept. You cannot reject this. It's too late. You were already included in Christ before time began. We've, we've traced it through. You were created in him, Ephesians 2.10 says, for good works. You're his workmanship. Ephesians 2.7, you're going to spend all eternity discovering just how good God really is towards you. And we haven't even scratched, we haven't scratched anything yet. It's too late to accept it or reject it. You're already included. That's why I'm an inclusionist. I believe everybody was included. Let's give them the covenant. Let's give them the covenant. And I dare anybody, based on the covenant, to ever try to be unsaved. Amen? All right, I just had to plug this one in this week in lieu of doing an unlimited five. And we'll pick, up, we'll pick it back up next week with our, our fifth part of 
uh, unlimited, and we're going to be getting into some great things. But I just felt like I needed to stop the bus, make sure we all understand the covenant, how God set it up, man messed it up, Jesus fixed it up, but the Father's going to end it up perfectly. And he's told us ahead of time exactly how it will look. God loves you so much, man. He really does. Plummet the depths of his love. Let him love you. Don't try to love him back. Just let him love you. And then respond to the love that he gives you. You can't love him more than he loves you. I'll guarantee you that. I want to give you a personal thank you for, for praying for me, for supporting this ministry uh, that's making a difference in the lives of people around the world. When you invest in this ministry, you're investing in other people. You're investing in people in other lands and nations. This, this ministry goes all over the world. I would have never believed I could travel the world and never left my house. Uh, but that's what God's doing today. He's touching lives all over, and you're part of it. And I'm glad to team with you, and I'm excited to continue this journey together. We're going to uncover some awesome things as the Spirit of Truth continues to reveal it. Love you guys. See you Wednesday night on Wednesday Night Live, and we'll talk this a little bit more. Other than that, have a great weekend and a great first part of the work week, and we'll see you Wednesday night.